Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jew3 Project, and I'm so excited that you've taken the time to listen to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. We want to give a special thank you to our financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to reach tens of thousands of people across the globe through our podcasts, social media outlets, online courses, curriculum, conference and events and tours because of your generous support. If you aren't a monthly partner, please consider partnering with us at Jew3Project.org by hitting the Donate tab. There's an option to give online or to mail in your gift. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Every gift you give helps equip. Remember, our online course is now available at learn.jew3project.org. Our new curriculum, Through Eyes of Color, a contextualized guide to helping you know what you believe and why, is available on Amazon and at througheyesofcolor.com and at jew3project.org. We thank you for listening and your support and your prayers. We're able to do what we do because of people like you. Thank you so much, and we hope that this episode blesses you. Have a great day. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mrs. Nona Jones. Welcome, Nona. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being with us. For those who don't know who you are, just give them a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. So um, I, well, goodness, what, who am I? Um, I'm a mother. I'm a wife. My husband and I lead a church together in Florida. Um, I also am an executive in a number of organizations, uh, and I have a bunch of businesses as well. And I have an itinerant ministry, so I get to travel the world preaching um, while also doing my day job. So I lead um, faith-based partnerships at uh, Facebook uh, as well. That's awesome. And I'm glad you took the time to be on the podcast today to talk about your new book, which I have here. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Oh, no, this is my honor. I I was telling you earlier, and I want to say it again. I think what you're doing is so powerful and so needed, and you are definitely a voice. um, So thank you for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. That's so, so encouraging. Today, I want to talk about something that um, is I really see a lot as a in apologetics, um, answering the trauma behind the question. Uh, Apologists are known for answering questions. Um, And oftentimes we get stuck on the the fruit of the question and not engaging the root because we don't listen. So Mm -hmm. the fruit may be, I don't believe in God, but the root is some kind of traumatic experience that happened. Mm -hmm. And if you only engage the fruit, you miss the deeper, really traumatic things that the person is processing through. And it's and a lot of that seems to be something that may be a theme in, in your new book. Is that is that something that you, you would say that is is a theme in your book? Absolutely. Um, so my 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 book uh, is really it's my memoir. And interestingly enough, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, I didn't grow up in a home where we talked about Jesus, God, Bible, went to church. Um, I never knew anything about any of that until I was invited to church uh, when I was around 11 years old by a classmate. Now, before all of that, 
Um, I grew up in a home. My father passed away shortly after my second or shortly before my second birthday. I grew up in a home where there was just a lot of dysfunction, a lot of trauma. My mother's boyfriend um, sexually abused me between the ages of about five and and 12 um, routinely. And my mother was physically abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. Um, I I tried to commit suicide at the ages of nine and 11. Um, I just didn't feel like like I had any reason to live. I felt like I wasn't wanted and, you know, not having any sense of, of God or purpose or intention in my creation. I just felt like I could just end it all. Um, I look back on that now and I realize that, you know, God uh, was keeping me and protecting me. But in, in the middle of all that, I had no sense of any, you know, divine protection. And so I remember when I was in school, you know, I would act out. I would be uh, defensive. I would talk back to teachers. I would try to be the class clown. Um, So I was always either in the principal's office or in, in the corner of a classroom. And I was essentially punished because of my behavior. And nobody ever asked, why are you behaving this way? No one ever asked that. They simply labeled me as a problem child. They simply labeled me as having a learning disability. And frankly, I think the way that translates to kind of how the church operates in many ways is when we don't get beyond the behavior and we just kind of stop at uh, diagnosing the behavior, we actually miss, as you call it, the root. And um, trauma changes you. It changes It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you see yourself. Um, And if you don't have, even if you do have, but especially if you don't have a rooting in God and hope, uh, you can very easily decide that there, there is no God. Like there's no God. How could there be a God when I'm going through all of this tragedy and triumph? How could there be a God who supposedly is loving Uh, And yet I am suffering. And so I do think that we have to go a step further whenever we're dealing with a question where someone says, uh, I don't believe God is real. We do have to begin asking, why is that? And I guarantee you that nine times out of 10, it's because something happened to them that was unexplainably painful. And they've just chosen to believe that there couldn't be a God because if there was, this would not have happened. That's so true. I was watching um, Lisa Ray's um um, interview on TV one. I don't know was behind the story or one of those. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about why she was an atheist and it was because she felt like God let her father die. And mm-hmm. her father was the only person she felt that loved her. And she was like, there can't be a God. Um, because if he was, he would have not taken the person that loved me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you reconcile a loving God and the traumatic experiences that you dealt with as a child? You know, it's interesting because all the way up until the point that I was invited to church, I didn't have any sense of worth. I didn't have any sense of purpose. And so the very first sermon I ever heard when I was 11 years old in that church, the pastor said, God is a father to the fatherless. And I heard that and I thought, wait, what? Because I remembered there were many nights I would cry myself to sleep because I wanted my father. Like I thought if my father had lived, then I would not have suffered the pain and and the abuse that I suffered. And so when he said, God is a father to the fatherless, well, I immediately wanted to know, well, who is this God? Like, who is this? Because I need to, to, to understand 
his relationship to me. And so at 11 years old, I, I took the Bible home with me and I, I, I read through the book of Psalms because that's where the, the passage was that he read from. I read from first Psalm, I think I got through Psalm 23, where I realized, I mean, that Psalm was so pertinent to me. It's like, you know what? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, you know what? Thou art with me. Like thy rod and my staff, they, they comfort me. And those words spoke so deeply to me because having tried to end my life twice unsuccessfully, it's like it made me realize, wait a minute, there is a power higher than me that, that has kept me. And so it wasn't even me saying, oh my gosh, you know, this horrible thing happened to me. God, why did you let this happen to me? It was me realizing, wait a minute, even though this happened to me, there is still purpose and God still created me on purpose and with purpose. And so it let me think about my future. Um, and I also learned, and this was key, I think, to my own healing. I also learned the power of forgiveness. I think sometimes when people are hurting, you know, and I can go back to the situation with Lisa Ray, I guarantee you when her father died, she, she felt bitter toward God. She felt angry toward God. And sometimes forgiveness is something that we have to even give to God. It's like, you know what, this thing happened and I'm angry about it and I don't understand it, but I choose to yield the, the anger that I feel, recognizing that you are a loving God. Um, that's what I had to do. That's the process that I had to go through. Uh, and I think that's really what helped to shape my understanding of how a God can love you, and yet you can still go through pain and heartache. And it's also understanding that the reason why pain and heartache exists in this world is because of sin. At the end of the day, the reason why there are people who uh, die, the reason why people get murdered, the reason why people are violated in, in horrendous ways is because there is sin in the world that did not come from God, was not created by God. It was a choice that was made um, by the people that God loved. And God, in his love, was like, you know what? I can't leave these people apart from me. So I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to reconcile this relationship. Those are the types of things that I had to realize in order to reconcile the fact that God can love you while you can still have bad things happen in your life. That's that's extremely, extremely helpful to note, uh, because I do think in the when you talked about trauma rewiring the brain, the we start to process things irrationally. Oh. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny because um, I always think about apologetics being a discipline of reason. Mm. And if you're solely going into talk to someone who's experienced intense trauma and only using reason, it's like talking to a brick wall often. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's a, a frustrating thing. Yeah, and, actually in my book, uh, chapter three, is titled, it's titled releasing the why. Because when you're talking to someone who has experienced trauma, I mean, honestly, rationality is not what's going to heal them. Like there's there is no explanation that can heal something that has already happened. I mean, if you think about it, uh, if, if someone you love dies in a car accident, you know, the police coming to you and saying, oh, this is why it happened. Is it going to make you say, oh, God, thank you for telling me. At least now I don't feel bad. No, like you still have hurt. You still have pain. Um, but it's on each of us as, as people who have experienced trauma. It's on each of us to be willing to release the why, because no matter what the explanation is, it's not going to be, bring peace. The only thing that ever brings peace is choosing forgiveness. 
And I, I know for a fact that if I had not been able to forgive my mother and, and her boyfriend and various people in the situation, I know I would not be where I am today because I would be walking around bitter. And the truth is, hurt people hurt people. It becomes a perpetual cycle. So I believe even when God was talking about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the generations, I do believe that's not necessarily God saying, I'm going to curse your family. What God is saying is what you don't fix within yourself will get perpetuated through the generations. So we have to make the decision to end the cycle. That's so good. Uh, we we um, I had another conversation uh, with a pastor in New Jersey on the podcast about what generational curses could be mm-hmm. un, unforgiveness and bitterness down um, makes you perpetuate just what you said. You articulated it so well. Um, I think that's important to think about forgiveness because we I talk to a lot of young adults who talk about forgiveness being a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that white supremacy always tries to impose forgiveness onto black people. And it's like, no, forgiveness mm-hmm. is healing. Um, because if you walk around uh with with unforgiveness, uh it it poisons you. And I think yes. people have a misunderstanding of forgiveness, and they think if I forgive, that means the person doesn't get justice. Mm, so, and- so well, I just I, I think that's so powerful what you're saying because this idea that forgiveness is weakness actually is counterintuitive to what forgiveness requires because forgiveness requires strength. Mm. Um, The truth is what's natural, what comes natural to us when somebody offends us or hurts us is for us to be angry, for us to be bitter, for us to want revenge. That's natural. Like we, we don't have to do anything to be angry at the person who hurt us. That's natural. What isn't natural is to forgive the person that hurt us. And therefore that requires supernatural power. So people who have a forgiving heart, they are not weak. They're actually the strongest people among us because they're the ones who are actually activating and walking in the divine power that's necessary to forgive. Um, And the truth is my own experience, and I talk about this extensively in the book, you know, even if somebody says they're sorry, that doesn't make it better. I mean, if you think about it, just because somebody comes to you after they've hurt you and says, you know what, I was wrong, that doesn't suddenly heal you. It gets back to, again, that healing is the fruit of forgiveness. And I I do want to also stipulate that when you're talking about a relationship between two people and an offense happens, there's two sides to that. Uh, The person who offends you in order to reconcile the relationship, they have to repent. But if if you want to reconcile the relationship, you have to forgive. So there's two sides to that coin. Um, And that's why even in our relationship with God, repentance is so important because he's offering forgiveness at all times. But if we don't repent and we just walk around like, you know, well, I guess you'll be all right. And many of us have that attitude, like I can do what I want to do. Then it becomes the relationship gets strained. So I would say that, again, forgiveness is a strength. It is not a weakness at all. Cause I, I don't forgive naturally. I have to intentionally make a decision to forgive. Mm-hmm. And I think understanding that forgiveness is not mean you don't pursue justice in deep offense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, uh, people have tried to warp it into like, Oh, you forgive me. Well, don't call the police if I do something that's illegal. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We we we're still gonna yeah we're still gonna get some justice, but you know I can forgive you and okay you know hey I'm moving on it's about my peace but you did what you did and so <laughs> there are consequences. 
Yeah. And I think it's even important to note as you were talking, because I think sometimes people think if I get justice, I will get healing. But you need justice yeah. plus a forgiveness uh, yeah. in order for healing to, to take place. And you could you could have forgiveness without justice because yeah. the court system may fail and still be healed. Mm -hmm. But you can't have justice uh, alone. And yeah. Be healed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I see this even, and I I talk about this in a few of the chapters of the book. Is for me, you know, the life I have now is radically and vastly different than the life that I had growing up. I mean, I've been truly blessed and favored uh, professionally in my ministry and my family. I mean, I've been very very blessed, and yet just because I've been able to um, achieve things doesn't mean that I necessarily have the peace to enjoy them. There are many people who have stuff, but they're miserable. And that's because they're still nursing bitterness and they're still nursing anger and they're still nursing hurts that have essentially robbed them of the ability to enjoy the fruit of God's favor. And I believe that forgiveness in many ways uh, is, is basically like the key that's unlocking you from the prison of bitterness. I heard it said once, that bitterness is like drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill the other person. And bitter people, it doesn't matter what they accumulate around them. Uh, you're, you're just not going to have joy. And that's why I believe the greatest gift that God gave to us right below the gift of Jesus is the power to forgive. Because in that we have the power to experience joy. We have the power to experience love. Uh, but if you're nursing bitterness, you can't experience and enjoy those things. That's so helpful because I'm, you know, being a young professional and many of my friends being young pro pro black professionals working on the Hill, working as attorneys and, you know, just different segments of, of life and having conversations and people like not really enjoying life because mm -hmm. achievement, especially if you're the first black person in your family to start achieving and you graduate mm -hmm college and you get your master's or you get a law degree or whatever and you start achieving people think you're okay right and they're like you're the go-to nobody ever checks to say did you deal with the stuff that happened as as um as a kid and even people in ministry thrive without dealing with trauma yeah. and that's a, really a big part of your book, having success and still and being a believer and still not walking in the healing. Um, can you talk about uh, that a little bit? Yes, um, it's it's so true. And it's something that I actually guard. I try to guard against because when you are favored by God and that's that's the only description I can give for people who have experienced trauma statistically you should either be in jail or dead or on drugs or something like that statistically. So when that doesn't happen, it's because you've been favored and you've been given grace. Um, but I think that there is, there's a measure of grace um, that if we're not careful and we don't take care of ourselves, uh, we can actually end up destroying ourselves. And, and that's why you hear stories about um, pastors, even prominent pastors who have moral failures, who take their lives, who are on drugs. And the reason for that is there's trauma in their life that has been unaddressed, but because they are charismatic or gifted or magnetic, um, people just kind of assume they're okay. 
and they don't check on them. And that's why, you know, I sometimes wonder and worry when I see people who are really, really successful. Uh, I wonder, okay, who, who do they have in their circle? Who do they have around them that they can actually confide in? who is going to help them take care of the, the the pain and the hurt and the brokenness. I also know that it's been proven in many research studies, many of the people who are the most successful are the ones who have experienced the deepest trauma. People who have been orphaned, they've been sexually violated, people who have gone through divorce and physical abuse as a child, um, they typically have that in common. And so they pursue success um, to such a, a degree because honestly, they're trying to fix, they're trying to fix the pain from their past. It isn't so much that you know, they are just successful because they're successful. It's because there is a path that they're trying to escape. Uh, and so I, I do think that we have to be careful. We have to pray for one another, um, but we also have to be transparent. And that's the reason why I wrote my book is I think many times people walk in to your life on the chapter that you're in and they assume that's the whole story. Like, oh, you've always been successful. You've always been in magazines. You've always been preaching at large conferences. And it's like, no, let me tell you the realness. But if we are honest and we allow people to have that narrative, they will think that there's nothing wrong. So I do think that we have to be honest and I think that we do have to pray for each other. Um, and if you know that you're experiencing trauma, then you have to get help. It's And not just prayer, seek a therapist, <laughs> somebody that you can actually talk to, uh, somebody you can share uh, your pain and your struggles with, but somebody who is going to um, help you heal. Uh, we all need that. What was the point in your in your life, in your adulthood, and your success where you realized, hey, I need to heal. I need to pull back. And and like, what was that moment for you? For you? Yeah, that moment came. Um, I used to work in uh, politics, and I was uh, doing a lot of work in the juvenile justice and criminal justice space. Uh, got to the point where I was pretty well known in, in some of the juvenile justice circles on Capitol Hill, was uh, even testifying before the Senate about different um, uh, viewpoints that I had on, on legislation. And uh, I was at the White House regularly. I mean, like every other week I was at the White House for one reason or another. And I was there one evening. I'll never forget it. I was there one evening uh, for a reception and the president and the first lady were there. And I looked around the room and I was standing in the room with literally the most powerful, successful people, not just in our country, but in the world. And I was there and I took some pictures. You know how we do when we get in those situations. I took some pictures and I posted them on social media. And uh, people were like, oh, my gosh, I would love to be there. I wish I had your life. I'm so jealous, this, that, and the other. And when I left that event and I went back to my hotel room and I got in the bed and it was quiet, it was dark. I just felt this sense of just emptiness that was like palpable to the point where I was like, Lord, right now I should be on a high. Like right now I should feel really, really good. I said, but here I am leaving this intimate reception with the most powerful couple in the world. And I don't feel that way. And I said, Lord, what is going on? And, and that's when God began to show me that there is a difference between success and good success. And if you look at Joshua 1.8, especially in the, the King James Version, there's a the, the verse talks about how uh, if you, you know, meditate in the, the, the law or the word day and night, you will make your own way prosperous and you will have good success. The, the qualifier good there was interesting to me because we tend to think of success as good in and of itself. Like if you succeeded, you achieved your goal. 
But the fact that God thought it was necessary to say you'll have good success told me that there is a success that isn't good. And so that became my inflection point because I realized, wait a minute, I've achieved all this stuff, but I don't have the peace, the joy, the the love. I don't have the fruit of the spirit working in me. And I need to figure out how to activate that. And so that became the point at which I decided I'm no longer interested in chasing bullet points on a resume. Like now I want to build the type of success that actually fills me with, with joy and love. And that required dealing with the trauma from my past and really confronting bitterness that was inside of me, really confronting uh, what I thought I had gotten over, which I had not, were feelings of inadequacy, feelings of unworthiness that were baked into me when my mother allowed her boyfriend to violate me knowingly. I mean, she took me with her to pick him up from jail after she locked him up for assaulting me. Uh, she took me with her to pick him up to bring him back to the house where it resumed again. And those those feelings of unworthiness and being unwanted had led me to pursue success by any means necessary. And so I had to get healed um, from that. That's That's powerful. And I think that is so helpful, especially in this grind culture. Um, where it's like, wake up, grind, mm-hmm. get at it. And I've just, me um, in life, I've just noticed you work yourself way up to these big moments. I remember college graduation and it never feels like you anticipate it will feel. Yes. It's always a let down. Yes. No what high. And then you're like, and then everybody's like, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? And you're constantly in a grind mode and where the success you've reached, people are like, that's good. What are you going to do next? And it puts you in a frame of mind that you always have, you can't sit in the present thing. You have mm-hmm. to move on. And I heard Bishop Jake say something so profound one day. He said, you need to figure out what you want, what success is supposed to feel like. Um, because I guarantee you it's probably not going to feel like that and it's going to disappoint you every time. Yeah, I, I was talking with a friend um, a couple months ago and I mentioned to him, he's very successful uh, award, like Grammy award winning owns, you know, companies, just incredible human being, wonderful person. And I said to him, I said, you know, one thing I've realized about success is that there is no such thing because mm-hmm. you never, like no matter how much you achieve, it's never a period. It's only a comma. It's like you you achieve like you just say you achieve this thing. And it's like all right, what's next? Uh, you know, let's say you you say I want to become a manager. You become manager. It's like all right, now I need to become a director. Now I need to be vice president. Now I need to be in the C suite. Now I need to be CEO. Now I need to be on board. Like it, it just never ever ever ends. And so you do. You have to get to a place where you're like, look, what is what is what is it that I want to do in this world? And for me. My honest goal is really to honor God with my life, whether that happens uh, on a a platform speaking to 20,000 people or in a room speaking to three. I just want to honor God with my life. And so my the reason why I even wrote the book is I want people to be able to discover pain or excuse me, purpose out of their pain through my life. And my hope is that people will do that. And I think once you discover your purpose, you can stop chasing bullet points on a resume. Mm -hmm. That is extremely helpful. Do you have time for one last question? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, As you working interfaith with Facebook, most leaders and pastors talk about apologetics um, in theory because they're not engaged with other faiths. 
all the time, but the congregation, because they're at work in the marketplace, has to engage with people with diverse beliefs and be able to engage respectfully because they don't want to get sent to HR for diversity. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't know how to to balance those, to be respectful, to engage. And they're like, well, I want to be open about what I believe, but I also don't want to disrespect my coworker that may be Muslim or maybe atheist. Um, How do I do that in a way that's tangible? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I think pastors preach in a way because they're not connected to it. They're like, that's, it's like, Oh, that's good in theory, but I mean, I don't want to be fired. So (laughs) 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 what are some practical things or tips that you would give people who are in the marketplace who have to deal with this, um, on a daily basis? I think um, it's so important to, uh, to the best of your ability to become, become a student of other faiths. And by that, I mean, it's not about learning how to, you know, read Arabic or <laughs> it's not about, you know, uh, necessarily learning, um, you know, Yiddish or something like that. Uh, but it's just about understanding belief systems. And uh, you can do that in, in many ways. One is just by going to a bookstore and picking up, you know, Islam 101 or Judaism 101 or, you know, Baha'i 101 and just just learning, okay, well, what exactly do do they even believe? And, and that can extend even to the Christian faith. You know, it's like understanding, okay, well, what, what do Catholics believe? What do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? What does the Church of Latter-day Saints uh, believe? Seventh-day Adventists? It's just being a student of faith so that, you, because per, first of all, the more that you understand about other people's beliefs, the the better it is that you can kind of solidify your own. If if you don't really know what other people believe, it's it's almost like you don't have uh, any sense of where your belief ends and theirs begins. So yeah, just being a student. Uh, when I first got into my role, one of the first things that I did is I I just picked up several books about different faiths to try to understand, okay, what do they believe and what are some of their traditions and practices? Because, you know, you want to be respectful. And I think this is where sometimes we miss it as Christians is, you know, God, God is love. All right. God is love. And it's funny. The only, the only people that Jesus offended were the the religious so-called pre-Christians, <laughs> the Pharisees and Sadducees, like he, he wasn't as interested in offending people who believe differently. Um, he was interested in believing the, in, in offending the people who thought they knew it all. Um, so I, I think we should not try to offend people of other faiths. We should always be loving, always be curious. Um, and we have to remember that it's not our job to tell somebody that their faith is wrong. It's only our job to understand what their faith is and just to have conversations about it. Because I will tell you, I've had conversations with people of other faiths that we just kind of explored each other's faiths and they ended up going to church because they were just like, oh, okay, well, I want to learn more about what you believe. And I think by being loving and curious, uh, we can have those conversations in a respectful way. That is so helpful. One of the things we push here is more conversations, less debates. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> how do you how do you debate something you don't even know? Like, you know, and, and, and I think where we miss it is we know enough to argue, but we don't actually know enough to construct. So it's like, okay, I see, I see, I see your your point. Um, have you thought about this? 
It's like, we, we don't, we don't even go that route. We're like, okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but this is why you're wrong. <laughs> like, no. Um, so I, I like that framework. Yes. Um, how can people get a hold of your book? So it's, it's available now anywhere books are sold. Uh, if you want to get a hard copy, go to your local Barnes and Noble. They have a copy there. Most likely, uh, Amazon, you can also go there, Walmart, Target, et cetera. Uh, if you go on my website, which is just nonajones.com, there is a um, page dedicated to my book and you can order it at any of the retailers uh, listed there. Awesome. Well, also, uh, how can people get in contact with you on social media and any final words you may have? Sure. Yeah. My my handle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube is the same. It's at Nona, not Nora because I get called Nora Jones all the time. Um, so it's Nona, not Nora on all those platforms. Um, and uh, I guess as a final thought, I, I would just say, you know, we live in a world right now that is hungry and thirsty for hope. Um, suicide in the United States is at an all time high when it's been declining around the world, but it's in an all time high here in the US. I think part of that is because there has been such a radical, rapid decline in spirituality. And I'm not even talking about Christianity. I'm just talking about people's faith in, in God at all. There's been a rapid decline. And part of that is because I think as Christians, we've, we've really compartmentalized our faith to the four walls of a church. And frankly, attendance at a church is declining. So uh, there's, there's fewer of us really sharing the hope of God with the world. And I think that's what people need. So that's why I love, love what you're doing. And I think we have to just be intentional about, um, about giving people the hope, the hope of Jesus. Awesome. That is so helpful. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project. Remember, you can go to Jew3Project.org, get our new curriculum, Through Color Eyes, a small group curriculum to help you be able to answer questions that are present in the African-American community around faith and um, doubt. Um, also, our online course, Through Eyes of Color, and some merch there is available. And remember, you can donate and become a monthly partner at Jew3Project.org by hitting the Donate tab. Every gift helps a until next time, we're helping you know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.